Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid comes from Ball Team, your builder of all faith-based construction needs. Learn more at buildwithball.com. Now, hear the good news and be not afraid. Good morning. Welcome to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Father P.J., good morning. Good morning, Father. Let us begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who to safeguard the Catholic faith and to restore all things in Christ, fill Pope St. Pius X with heavenly wisdom and apostolic fortitude. Graciously grant that, following his teaching and example, we may gain an eternal prize. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Pius X, the patron from Des Moines Diocese. Right. So St. Pius X uh, is the patron of our diocese in large part because he's the one who made it. So he, oh. he was he was the pope under which the diocese was established. Okay, um, and so so he had a, a, a direct hand um, in in the creation of our diocese, the carving it out of the existing uh, diocese in, in the state of Iowa, and of course then personally appointed uh, Austin Dowling, for whom our high school is named, as the first bishop of the diocese of Des Moines. It's very interesting, and also to uh, invited our community in our audience from. Des Moines Territory Ecclesiastical, I mean, to pray for our diocese, in grateful for the generosity from God to the Holy Father, in this case, St. Pius X, to open this service to the evangelization and faith as well. One of the things about St. Pius X that I think is very important and probably not widely appreciated um, by a lot of people today is that uh, Pope Pius X was the first pope in a long time, like several hundred years, uh, to be poor. Wow. So, so How is that? His dad was the village mailman. Oh, man. Uh, so he was one of Liter- ten, literally, literally an his, apostle. His, his, literally his, an, an apostle. apostle. Yeah, <laughs> literally an apostle. Literally an apostle. That's right. So, 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 so for <laughs> our listeners who, who aren't catching the joke, right, uh, the word post, postal, comes from the same word as apostle, to yeah. send, right? So, so yeah. So, 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 so Pope St. Pius X's dad was the village apostle or the village postman. He was the, he was the mailman. Um, he was one of 10 kids um, and uh, it was somewhat sickly of disposition when he was a kid. Uh, lots of things stacked against him to not make him even successful as a parish priest, let alone to wind up Patriarch of Venice and ultimately, uh, ultimately Pope of the Catholic Church. Um, but the reason it's important is that because for many centuries before, it's not that there weren't exceptions, but they were relatively rare, um, you know, the popes, because the Bishop of Rome was so deeply entrenched in Italian politics, they came from the political elite of central Italy. Um, and so it, so popes were rich kids who went to the best schools and belonged to the best families. And and some of them were very holy men. That isn't uh, entirely a knock, right? Correct. Um, but but, but, but they, is, this is not the case. This is not the case with Pius X. He is much more like most of us that grew up in Iowa. Um, wow. and, 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 and the reason I think we maybe don't appreciate that as much now is because subsequent to Pius X, there have been several popes that came from more modest means. So, oh. so, so, so uh, uh, Pope John XXIII, likewise, did not come from an especially wealthy family. Um, they weren't probably quite as poor as this, but they, but they, but they weren't wealthy. Um, uh, uh, Saint, or John, John Paul II, of course, uh, very famously, right, um, worked a rock quarry, right? So he was from laboring folk, too. 
Benedict XVI came from kind of a middle class family, but again, not rich, not wealthy, right? And so, so, so there have been subsequent popes who, who, who were more like this, but he really was kind of a game changer in, in many ways. Okay. Um, and, 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 he, and he changed some of the kind of uh, models of papacy um, uh, and, and, and in some ways you could say really helped style the, the, the way popes came to be in the way that we know them now. And it's very interesting, but i also curious, Father, uh, how is that discernment process or how is that decision came from the Holy See to establish a diocese mm-hmm. or archdiocese? Obviously, archdiocese, I mean, congregate many or some dioceses, you know? But where is the decision from the Holy See to establish Laica, we have Diocese of Des Moines? So, so, so initially, the, and I will admit, I'm not the diocesan historian or anything, but I have no, no. at least a sense of this, right? <laughs> Initially, the territory that, uh, that that was involved here was the whole of the Iowa territory. So, and that's that was before Iowa was even a state. So, it would have I- encapsulated some of what's now Minnesota and some of what's now Missouri. Okay, um, I- Iowa was simply the the space that was between the two rivers. <laughs> that's why you know, so many um, uh, towns, right? Or so many businesses in town are called two rivers or associate with the two rivers, right? So, 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 so the territory was originally between the two rivers, and then. Dubuque was the headquarters because it was the biggest town in the state the for the time, and it becomes the archdiocese. It's the reason it still is, even though it's obviously a much smaller town than Des Moines is. Um, uh, then the, the the state was split in two, so you had uh, uh, Dubuque and Davenport, and, and then ultimately Des Moines and Sioux City were carved out of that too. Um, the way the church you know, uh, judges that is based on the number of people who are living there, the number of clergy you have attending them, and the financial resources the, uh, the, the the people have at the time. The rules changed somewhat um, from the early 20th century when Des Moines was established to, to, to now because there's a new code of canon law, but the principle is basically the same. A diocese is, is in the strictest sense, a particular church, and the bishop of the diocese has real teeth, real authority over his local church. The pastors of the parishes are not simply branch managers— but they are importantly vicars of the bishop. He's the one who sends them to be the the, the heads of, of of the particular community of the Christian faith, faithful that are there. And so a diocese needs to be able to function in concert, which is why, you know, um, uh, I'm able to fill in for you when you're gone, and you're able to fill in for me when I'm gone, because we're all part of the same thing. Correct. Um, and 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 that as best we can, we ought to share time, energy, resources, staff between the particular parishes of the diocese and the other missions and institutions, like, say, Dowling or something like that, Holy Family, um, uh, Mercy Hospital, uh, because they're all part of the work of the church in this place. When we're talking about dioceses and archdioceses, we're looking for the size of the town, size of the city. So in this, uh, at this point, I guess Des Moines is bigger than Dubuque. Significantly, yeah. So when, when, when I use this prudently, so eventually could be moving the archdiocese of Dubuque to be Des Moines elevated to archdiocese level, or it's more part of the Holy See decision? Well, it, it is the Holy See's decision. Th- that question's been asked for at least 50 years since Des Moines clearly became the largest city in the state. Um, but but it's not only about uh, it's not only about size. Several of the the ancient seas are significantly smaller than uh, the big cities that surround them, but because of their antiquity, because of their importance historically, they remain they, they, they remain significant. So they have the designation of an archdiocese. Um, most of the time, this doesn't really matter, like because the whole point is like on a 
on the level of divine law, uh, uh, a bishop is a bishop is a bishop, whether he's an archbishop he or he's, he's, he's a bishop. And so, and, and, and his primary exercise of authority uh, it comes over that local church over which he's responsible. The metropolitan, so the archbishop who oversees uh, suffragan bishops around him, he's primarily brought in to, to mediate disputes and that sort of thing. But, um, but, but the focus here really needs to be on, on the Holy See recognizing the life of a local church and giving them a bishop of their own. Iowa Cotton Radio, be not afraid. I don't think men have ever been as lonely as they are today. And it's easy to get depressed about it. Where are the kind of guys I hung out with in college? Everybody's too busy. No one makes time for one another. Workplaces and neighborhoods, they're just too transient to form meaningful connections. You know what? Maybe that's all true. But if you really want to know what the problem is, look in the mirror. Instead of whining, you need to become the change you want to see in the world by becoming the kind of friend you wish you had. Think of the qualities of your ideal friend. Seriously, think of a list of what that person would look like. Now, you ready for this? Go and be that friend to somebody. But to who? This person has this flaw, that person has that flaw. <laughs> Stop that. Be the friend you wish you had, and I promise you, you'll form the friendships you've been missing. The world is a lonely place. You have the power to fix that. This is Chris Stefanik. For more of our men's program, visit reallifecatholic.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Des Moines, where empowering individuals and strengthening families have been the cornerstone of care for a century. Services for neighbors in need include a food pantry, professional counseling, emergency family shelter, and refugee resettlement. At Catholic Charities, lives are transformed and you can be part of the mission. To learn more about how to help Catholic Charities fulfill Christ's promise of help and hope, visit catholiccharitiesdm.org. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Also, in this week, we have the memorial of the Queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, if we talking up last week about the Assumption as Solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, now mo we're moving down, may I say that, you know? So we're moving into the, the memorial of the Queenship. Solemnity, festivity, memorial, how we, we can understand this kind of um, titles the Holy Mother of the Church attribute to the certain celebrations? So, so the Church regulates the celebration of feast days in order to try and highlight which ones are more important than others. Um, the, the memorial of the Queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary is a memorial, so it's the lowest grade of feast that we have today. But that's not to indicate it's insignificant. It is rather because it sits as the octave day of the feast. So, so for most of the church's history, the major feasts of the church are preceded by a short period of fasting and then succeeded by a, a longer period of celebration. And so, so, so you, so, so there is still like in the Eastern churches, they, they call the assumption, the dormition or the falling asleep, but it's the, the same dormition, feast. Beautiful. So, so, so they have what's called the dormition fast. So from, I think it's August 1st until August 14th, you have like a, a little mini Lent, and then you have a big festival for the for the feast itself on the fourteenth, fifteenth, and then for the next week or so, it's it's kind of like eating the leftovers after Thanksgiving. You're, you're you're eating the leftovers from the feast day, correct? And then on the eighth day, 
8 being a very significant number, the eighth day being the first day of the new creation, starting something new. On the eighth day, you celebrate a lesser feast that is tied to the original feast, and it kind of ends the big celebration. And so the logical consequence of Mary's uh, assumption, body and soul into heaven, is her establishment as queen, uh, uh, sitting at the right hand, um, arrayed in gold, as the psalmist says. The queen sits at the right hand arrayed in gold. And this is all drawing off of deeply biblical imagery, especially of David, uh, um, uh, of Solomon and Bathsheba, right? Uh, so, so the queen mother being the queen, not the king's wife. Um, and, so, and so the queen stands at the right hand of the king, um, and, and she acts as kind of the conscience of the king, the support of the king, um, uh, the, 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 the pillar of the king. Um, and, and so Mary stands at the right hand of Jesus and, 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 and acts as his constant and sure support and our great advocate with her son. It's a very interesting how you describe that because, I mean, call to my mind that also it's part of that litany, that Lutheran litany as well. What is the meaning of the word litany that we can put in the context of, about this celebration? Because normally when we pray the Holy Rosary, including the litany, not yeah. the saints. Not the, the, no, 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 no. So, 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 so litanies or litanias are, are, are simply um, column response prayers. Okay. okay. So, so, so every time you have a, a, an invocation with a repeated response, that is a kind of a litany. So the, the prayers of the faithful at Mass are actually designed as a litany. So oh. we, let us pray to the Lord, Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray to the Lord, Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray okay. to the Lord, Lord, hear our prayer. Um, in fact, in, in former days, that portion of the Mass was actually called the Great Litany. And in the Eastern churches and in the Anglican Communion, it's still called that because of the column response character of the prayers. We, of course, have many litanies in the Catholic Church, some official liturgical ones, some just devotional, right? Um, the Litany of the Saints is very important because it forms an essential part of baptism and confirmation and ordination and, and dedication of a church, really essential moments. We're trying to call on the intercession of the saints. The Litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, or uh, commonly associated with Loretto, is, uh, is similarly important, especially attached to Marian feast days. And there's a, there's a whole host of lesser litanies that are, that, that are significant in the devotional life of the church. But the idea is basically this. Repeated prayer, far from being bad for us spiritually, can actually be very good. It becomes kind of the drumbeat in the back of our head. So if you're constantly hearing pray for us, pray for us, pray for us, or Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, or we pray to the Lord, we pray to the Lord, we pray to the Lord, then then it becomes very difficult to sin. Like if that's the background music in your brain, Beautiful. it becomes very difficult to fall into vice. And so so relative to the Blessed Virgin Mary, right, what we do is 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 we we pile on titles that reveal to us more and more of her particular identity. And in seeing who she is before God we come to understand better who we are before God. She is the ivory of chastity, so I should be striving for chastity. She's the mother of the poor, so I should be caring for the poor. She's the, 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 the mediatrix of all graces, and so I should be working to mediate grace for my fellows, right? So, 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 so that it winds up being not only imitation of, but participation in the identity of the other. Also, it's very eloquent how... If may I use respectfully, how many titles refer to the beauty, splendor, presence, and special characteristics from the Holy Mother of God? You know, I mean, Queen of Heaven, 
Queen of the Universe. So Queen people, of the Psalm. people, I think would be would be very surprised to learn that the language of queenship relative to the Blessed Mother goes all the way back to the second century. Origen calls her a queen, right? And and, and so by the Council of Ephesus, um, she's being called Queen of Heaven and Earth, um, the the first among the faithful, uh, the, the the mother of all the church. That's language that was especially recovered at the time of the Second Vatican Council, which is why we now have the Feast of Mary, Mother of the Church, attached, right, the Monday following the Pentecost, because she's now mother of this newly established community, right? Correct. Uh, so so the titles of the Blessed Mother are meant to reveal, first, something of Jesus. Mary always is, is first identified in relationship to Jesus. So her first and most important title is his mother of God, which is primarily a declaration of Jesus's divine sonship, right? Jesus is God. Mary is his mother. So Mary is mother of God, right? But then all of the other titles we attribute to her are in view of that first. And because she's the mother of God, the son, because she sits, uh, she's ascended, assumed into heaven with her divine son. So she stands as queen of heaven and earth, queen of angels, queen of saints. Also, so, uh, son of the great uh, father of the church, remember that this kind of eloquent and a joyful description of the condition of the Blessed Virgin Mary is very hurting to the devil, you know, very hurting to the devil and help the devil to just fall down immediately in the name of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So the anecdotal evidence that, that comes to us from, from exorcism and deliverance ministry is that the, 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 the demons simply cannot stand that woman. They cannot stand that woman. Cannot. And and we shouldn't be surprised. She crushes the head of the serpent. She's she's she 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 literally tramples down um, the the one who brought death by her son, who trampled down death by death and restored life to light in the gospel. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. Sixty seconds with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. This universe of ours is a free universe. It is a universe of character making, of soul making. Almighty God is placed into our hands. Think of it. The power to make ourselves saints or devils. It is up to us. There are some laws that we cannot disobey. For example, the law of gravitation. and Certain biological laws like circulation of blood. But in a moral universe, we are free either to obey the laws of God or to disobey them, just as we are perfectly free, for example, to obey the laws of health or to disobey them. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. I know Carmelite nuns who get a call from their mother superior every June telling them where they're going to be assigned in the year ahead. And even if they know they're probably not going to be transferred, before that call, they're supposed to pack up all their belongings and wait for the phone to ring. It's an exercise in detachment from the world. We all go through that in our own ways, don't we? Maybe sometimes, you know, something becomes unstable in our current jobs, or a new opportunity opens up, or we have a financial crash that forces us to rebudget everything, or we go on a job interview, or maybe get a call from a doctor with some disturbing news. You know, even if those experiences don't pan out to be anything, and they usually don't, don't overlook their importance. That's God reminding us that, in the end, this world isn't our home. And if you get too attached to the little comforts you surround yourself with, you won't be available to God's grace 
and his call in your life. Stay open. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. In this 21st Sunday of Ordinary Time, the Liturgy of the Word, especially in the second reading, the letter from St. Paul to the Romans, chapter 11, 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How inscrutable are His judgments, and how unsearchable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given the Lord anything that He may be repaid? For from Him... And through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First of all, St. Paul are mentioned part of the center moment in, in our liturgy, in the Eucharistic prayer as well. From him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Wow. So, the the closing um, element of prayers um, are are typically in the form of what's called a doxology or a, a note of praise, right? Um, and, and and so this happens all throughout the mass. The simple form is simply through Christ our Lord, Amen. The the more solemn form, which uh, is usually attached only to the collect, there's sometimes other big prayers for feasts and stuff. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. And what is called the great doxology, which concludes the, the canon or the Eucharistic prayer, is through him, that is Christ, with him, Christ, yes. and in him, Christ, to you, O God Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory, all honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is—we're picking up right where we left off last week— Paul is now giving praise to God for what he talked about last week, this dramatic reversal, how the rejection of the Jews leads to the acceptance of the Gentiles, and how the acceptance of the Gentiles leads to the conversion of many of the Jews. Wow. And so, so, so then it's as though, uh, as though spontaneous exclamation. He says, oh, isn't this amazing? Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his judgments, how unsearchable his ways. Mention to my heart as, as well, when we said from him, could we speaking about the Father? Through him, we're speaking about the Son. And for him, we're speaking about the Holy Spirit, that so, Trinitarian presence also. So, so, so Paul uses these tripartite, these three, three times ways of saying things uh, all over the place, here and in other places, and uh, many scholars today are, are convinced, and several of the church fathers too, that this threefold usage was a kind of a, a recognition of the Trinity before we'd come up with the word. The word Trinity doesn't show up for about another hundred years, right? But but right. but but we believed it before we had the language to talk about it. Um, but the, the the other thing that's going on here that I think is really important uh, to, to see is that is that almost everything that Paul says here is a quotation from Scripture. So he's, he's quoting scripture, and he shows us, this I think is very important, he shows us how the church reads scripture and how scripture reads scripture, right? So, 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 so he first has his sort of exclamation, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how inscrutable his judgments, how unsearchable his ways. That's Paul, okay? Then he says, 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Now, that's a quotation from Isaiah 40. Okay. And so, he, but he doesn't say, as the prophet says, or in chapter 40, verse 22, Isaiah said, he's not quoting chapter and verse, the words simply live inside him. He knows the scripture so well, it simply lives inside him. He's not doing this to show off. He's not doing this to prove that he knows the Old Testament. The people he's writing to don't know the Old Testament. They're pagans. He's doing it because it's the only language he knows. Then he goes on, somewhat surprisingly, and quotes the book of Job. Oh, who has given the Lord anything that he might be repaid? This is from that, that end passage at the, of the book of Job where the Lord speaks to Job from the whirlwind and Job responds back, right? The, the Lord says, you know, where were you when I made the seas and set the stars in their courses and all that? And Job says, ah, yeah, I know you're bigger and better than everybody and nobody's ever done anything that, that you rightly owe them back for, right? So, so, so Paul, like caught in ecstasy, recognizing this marvelous thing God has done, looks back on what God has done in the past and says, yeah, look at this. And what God's done in Jesus is like all that stuff and more. Wow. And so then he gives this note of praise that, that, that winds up being reflected and, and, and captured in the liturgy as a doxology. For from him and through him and for him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen. So that he ends his discourse, as we often do, do probably always should, with a prayer. Moving me a lot, the description that you mentioned in the first part, the book of the prophet Isaiah, then the book of Job. It's eloquent how the Holy Spirit working through this really, really, really smart, but also providential guy like St. Paul, you know? One of the things, one of the things that I think, I mean, mm-hmm. go ahead. one of the things I think especially important about who Paul quotes here is this. So both Isaiah and Job are unquestionably part of the Jewish scripture. And Isaiah really has a kind of a central role. He's the greatest of the prophets, right? He, he, the, and, and, and his gospel, his, uh, his book becomes known as the fifth gospel because so much, especially of the suffering servant uh, song, it, it seems directly reflected in the passion of the Lord Jesus. But Job is not like that. Mm-mm. Job is, first of all, the, the character Job isn't a Jew. He's a pagan. Correct. So, 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 so there's uh, this dynamic right from the outset um, that 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 both Jews and Gentiles are part of this in the Old Testament and in the New. So when Paul is writing to the Gentiles to say, "Look, you and the Jews are supposed to be in on this together," he then goes and quotes the most Jewish book of the Old Testament and, in some ways, the most pagan book of the Old Testament to show exactly how tightly bound these people are supposed to be together. We are approaching our program, Father, and we are in need not only about the blessing, but also to ask in the Holy Spirit to inspire us to open our heart, our minds, to grasp the divine message from these kind of letters. May the Spirit who inspired the sacred authors of Job and of Isaiah who stirred the hearts of Paul and Peter and all the early church, stir now your hearts and confirm you in the good work which he has brought about in you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Be not afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Be not afraid. Jesus is on the way to encounter you. Go forward and be not afraid. 